you're visiting with us. We have uh, been working our way through this uh, amazing uh, book of Romans. We've called this the Gospel of God because that's right out of uh, that book. And Paul uses that term elsewhere <clears throat> in his writings as well. Uh, let me tell you what we've talked about in the last 23 sermons. Um, maybe not totally, but uh, just so that as we get into Romans 8, we have a uh, um, background of where we have been. In the first chapter, we read, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation, for it is in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And there is, there's the theme of Romans there, that it's not about our works. It is about faith, trusting in Christ alone for our eternal life. And we jump to chapter 3 uh, after we have seen the, the downward spiral that uh, we saw historically of all mankind after the fall, after sin came into the world, and we read in Romans chapter 3 of the great dilemma that we are in as we read, there is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then we see how God has been telling his story in Romans for all the way through and how salvation has been there and, and how the faith of Abraham was looking forward to that great Savior that we look backwards toward. And then in uh, Romans chapter 5, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There is the gospel again, as, as we see that there was nothing within us, but it was all about what he did, what he achieved, and then what he offers to us. And then in, in chapter 6, it begins to talk about, so what does all of this mean, this great salvation that we have experienced it means that you're no longer slaves to sin. And so sin is no longer your identity. If you sin, it is your choice if you are a child of the living God. And so our identity is not, uh, I'm, oh, I'm just a, a sinner once you come to Christ. But instead... I'm a child of the living God who sometimes sins. And when I do, it is absolutely against the new nature that he has given to me. It is not who I am at my very core. And then, and then for the last couple of weeks, we were in Romans 7 as Paul talks about his ongoing struggle with sin. As last week. We read him saying the, the very things that I, I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, those are the things I end up doing. 
And then that, even though he was a believer, crying out and saying, you know, I delight in your law, but who will rescue me from this body of death? And then there is that great doxology that is a a relieved person saying, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that was his only hope, and he knew it. And right on the heels, right on the heels of that, he continues on and, and reminds, uh, and, and I'm so glad this part was here, because if, if it stopped at thanks be to God for our Lord Jesus Christ, some might presume, well, the struggle was then over. Now he doesn't have to worry about sin anymore, but in, in the very same breath, not even the, the next breath, he says this. It's like a reality check. So then I, my, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So there he is saying, yes, I I've, I've still struggle, and I will continue to struggle. And then today we're going to begin where we ended last week, right on the, on the heels of him saying, I, I still struggle. Chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, I have no doubt in my mind that there are people that walked into this building today feeling a sense of condemnation. perhaps dreading even walking in here and being among God's people. Perhaps with nagging guilt over things that happened yesterday or this last night or this morning. Lord, thank you that thank you that you brought us all here anyway. Will you teach us? Will you show us? through your word, by your spirit, what that great hope means in our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Someone said that Romans 8 is the brightest gem in the cluster 
That is Romans. Martin Lloyd-Jones that I've been talking to you about, and I could have brought his, <clears throat> his book of sermons for Romans 8 it, up here and showed it to you like I did earlier. But uh, he said basically this. He's, in his view, and he said, you, you shouldn't rate chapters of, you know, that God writes. That's not, that's not the way to do things. But, but he said in his mind, the most important chapter would be Romans 5. But the most moving is Romans 8. And I get that. Because I believe in the, the chapter of Romans 8, I've seen more people during my ministry gain comfort, gain peace, because of passages in Romans chapter 8. And so that's why what we are doing today is uh, we're throwing on the brakes. Uh, as we have, I, I know some might not think that 23 sermons in the first chapter, uh, uh, first seven chapters of Romans is moving very quickly, but some of you have said, wow, you know, we have kind of moved rather quickly, but we're actually, uh, <clears throat> for the next weeks up to Advent, and then we'll have an Advent series. And then we will, at the beginning of the year, after we do our verse of the year, we're going to be back in Romans 8. So we're going to be here for a while. We're throwing on the brakes because we really need to uh, in, in terms of uh, how this brings together what has come before and what comes after. And so much of the Christian life is spoken of in Romans 8. So let's, let's jump in. Uh, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, that word condemnation uh, is basically the idea of someone serving in prison. We, we you know, sang that amazing hymn earlier. And uh, how apropos that Wesley would, would say, that's, that's what it was like. It was as though I was in prison before his eye diffused a quickening ray into his life. And so that's the right word for there. Paul's saying, the Romans 7 experience is like someone who is, even though they've been released from prison, is acting like they're still in prison. So he's not saying, you know, if you took comfort in Romans 7 saying, oh good, I can keep on sinning then, that was the wrong take. Now if you took comfort saying, okay, well, I'm not the only one, that's okay. That's right. But Paul is saying, that's not where we stay. We mustn't stay there. <clears throat> Probably many of you have seen the, the movie, The Shawshank Redemption. Uh, it's a, uh, it's from a, a little novel that Stephen King wrote. And I, this may be the first time I've ever used anything from Stephen King from the pulpit. Uh, 
and it's very different than most of his other stuff, but uh, it, it, it's a, a movie about, about prison and so on, and there are these characters in there, and one of the characters is named Red, and he has uh, uh, been in prison and, uh, for many years, and every time he comes up for parole, he is denied, and then after 40 years, he finally, he finally gets out of prison, but it's hard for him to adjust to the outside world, if you saw the movie. He gets a job, and, and he is a, a, a bagger in a grocery store, and he barely knows how to act. And, and at one point, you know, he's bagging groceries, working very hard, and then uh, he looks over at the manager of the store, and he says, uh, bathroom break, boss. And the boss says, come over here. You don't have to... Ask me every time you need to go to the bathroom. Just go. You see, he was, he was acting like he was still in prison, even though he was free, and that was not an issue whatsoever. He couldn't shake those habits from when he was in prison. And what Paul is saying here is, we mustn't be like that. Don't act like you're, you're still in prison that you're still bound to sin, that, that you don't have any choice in this matter because you have been freed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so he says there is now no condemnation. Now, here's the thing we need to notice about that. It's not there's no condemnation now but there might be some later if you don't behave. It's not what he's saying. He is saying, for you who are in Christ Jesus, your new status is one without condemnation. Not now, not ever. And that's what that freedom is that he's been talking about in the previous chapters. And then he says, in Christ Jesus. This again is speaking of our, our union with Christ. Don't ever lose that phrase. That's as important of a doctrine as any doctrine whatsoever. Our union with Christ. All of mankind is either in union with Adam, they remain in union with Adam, or they're trusting in Christ alone and they're in union with Christ. Those that are in union with Adam, it leads to death and no hope whatsoever. Those in union with Christ, it leads to freedom and eternal life with God. That's the promise here. If I were to be judged right now, or you were to be judged right now for your sin, you would be condemned unless you're in Christ Jesus. And if you're in Christ Jesus, because you have a Savior, 
because he took the punishment, he took your condemnation on the cross, you will not ever be condemned for your sin. There is complete condemnation for those who remain in Adam. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So Paul starts with stating that there's now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Basically, he's saying we are free from the penalty of sin. That's the first aspect. But then he goes on to talk about really what that means. Not only are we free from the penalty of sin, but we're free from the the power of sin. Verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now, if you were characterizing uh, Romans 8, if you were going to you know, take it as a book within the book uh, and, and determine, okay, what's, what's the theme of Romans 8? It would have to be the Holy Spirit. It's talking about our sanctification, which we'll talk about in a moment. But it's really talking about the power of the Spirit in our lives. I think I put on the city on Wednesday. Sometimes I forget what I put on there, but by way of this, that, that up until this point in the book of Romans, and this, this was almost unbelievable when I read this, uh, that the Holy Spirit had only really been mentioned twice in Romans up to this point. And, uh, and almost in passing in those two times. Focus had been on Christ, upon the Father. But in, in Romans 8, we will see the Holy Spirit mentioned 20 times alone in this book. Now, that's no surprise because now what we're, we're about to see, you know, up in talking about uh, our salvation, our justification, it's got to be all about Christ all about what He did, all about the plan of the Father that the the Son carries out. But now when we begin to talk about sanctification, we're involved here. We're involved by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 35 and by the way, this, uh, you don't need to try to write this down because it's actually in one of the questions that our community groups are going to be discussing. But in defining sanctification, sanctification is the work of God's free grace. Now that makes it different from justification, which is the act of God's grace. Boom, it's a one-time thing. Sanctification is a work. It's an ongoing thing. It has a definite beginning, but then it, it's a, a process after that. So it's a, a work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God. So we see at the fall that that image of God that is in every human being is marred, basically beyond recognition. And yet, when we come to Christ, 
we are renewed and are enabled more and more to die to sin and live to righteousness. That's basically Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8 there. And that is, let me, let me summarize really what that sanctification is. It's us becoming more like Jesus. That's, that's the easiest way to remember it. But this describes how we're going to become more like Jesus because we, we die more to sin and we live more to his righteousness. Now Paul gives the Holy Spirit a, a beautiful descriptive name here, the Spirit of life. And then he describes the work of the Spirit of life. He says, set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So in, back in chapter 6, he had said, you're not, you're not slaves anymore. You've been set free from sin. You don't have to sin any longer. Sin doesn't have power over you. So he's reminding us of these things that, that we, we need to be aware of. And then look at what God did, verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. So the law upheld God's perfect standard, but man was unable to keep it because, of, because we still live in the flesh. What are we to be? We are to be perfect. Have you seen that Lowe's commercial um, where it's, it's, it, it's kind of for do-it-yourselfers, but, um, but kind of not, uh, where a, a guy is putting up a, a ceiling fan, and he puts it up, and it looks beautiful, and he, uh, he walks over to turn on the fan, and he turns it on, and it, it starts to spin, and then sparks fly out, and then the ceiling fan hits the floor, and, uh, and, and then uh, you, you, you see a scene from outside where there's this beautiful picture window, and all of a sudden you see the, the fan go flying through that window. And then the next phrase that's up there is, need help? Well, that, that's kind of the idea is that when it comes to us making ourselves like Jesus, first of all, we can't gain our own salvation, but we aren't capable of making ourselves like Jesus. If, if we want to make it a do-it-yourself, that's what's going to happen. It might look good for a time, and then it's going to fall apart if you're doing it in your own strength. And the answer is, yes, we need help. We can't do this. That's where Romans 7 comes in, right? Where this is Paul saying, I, I want to do it, but I can't seem to do it. What's the deal here? And then he goes on in terms of what God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And that's the incarnation. And, and again, we're doing doctrine here, but, but here it's described. All you got to do to remember incarnation, incarnate, we're going to deal with this a lot during Advent, 
uh, like we always do, because what that is, in carne, in the flesh, carne has to do with flesh. Think of carnage or um, chili con carne, um, which is not beans, it's meat, okay? So that's the idea is that God took on flesh, and that's what he's speaking of here. And he's saying, this was how this was achieved for you by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. It doesn't say he was sinful, but he had to take on the same flesh all of us do. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So our sentence of condemnation was carried out on Jesus' flesh. That's why he had to become flesh, to completely represent us. Now, why? Why did God do that? That we might walk in holiness. That might surprise you. Because we, we seem to too often think, well, you know, don't, we believe in grace. Don't talk to me about obedience and holiness and those kinds of things. Isn't that legalism? Absolutely not. In fact, what we'll see here is that this is our whole purpose. And what we see here is the third person of the Trinity. So, the Father sends the Son. The Son comes and the Holy Spirit empowers us to become who we ought to be. Jesus became one of us so that we could be like Him, a Son of God. So we see the work of the, the Holy Spirit, of, of the Trinity. But the goal is to do for us what we were unable to do. What the law was unable to do. We aren't saved just to enjoy being saved. Now get this. The goal of our salvation was not just for us to be saved, but for us to be holy. Now, you won't be holy unless you're saved first. And so, we, like back when we uh, were studying Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 2 Timothy 1.9, who saved us and called us Here's, here's what he called us to. A holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. Remember, we're told to be perfect as the Father in heaven is perfect. That's the standard. So, where do we go from here? If you've been listening, you know that basically what I've said is that, okay, we're called to be perfect. We are called to holiness, and yet we can't really seem to do that in our own strength. So what's the application? How, 
How do we even begin to approach this calling of the holy life, the obedient life? And I want to give you three things. First of all, utter dependence. Utter dependence on the Holy Spirit. He is the key in this. Quit relying on your own strength, your own ability. It's not working. And if, you th- if you're doing it in your own strength and you think it's working, then that means your standard is too low. If you think, if you think you're achieving it in your own strength, then you don't really understand his standard. And so, first of all, it's utter dependence upon the Holy Spirit <clears throat> who dwells in you. Secondly, and we mentioned this last week, and that is declaring the gospel to ourselves daily. And this is as good a place as anywhere for us to, uh, in, in one sentence be able to declare the gospel to ourselves daily. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you wake up in the morning and you say, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I am in Christ Jesus. Thanks be to God. Tell it to yourself throughout the day. Often, when you are feeling condemned, when you're feeling unable to keep going. That's the gospel in one verse. Memorize it and use it over and over. And then thirdly, walking in joyful freedom. Walk like you've been forgiven. You know, some believers are walking around like they are on their way to the electric chair or something like that. And that's not the case. (coughs) Sorry. I was going to say excuse me at the very beginning because I thought I was going to be coughing all the way through, but I was able to hold it off until now. I'm on the tail end of a cold. Um, (coughs) But instead... We must not walk as if we have the weight of all of our sins upon us, but instead, in that joyful calling that we have been forgiven. And that's a different kind of walk. And I don't mean just outwardly, but how we, how we cope with life. Think of this. When we are bound to Adam, the law condemns us. And no, no matter how much we try to obey it, it just reminds us how much we can't obey it. But when we're in Christ, we must know what Jesus did. He came to this earth, the lawgiver came to this earth, and he fulfilled that law every step of his entire life And it took him right to the cross where he could pay for the fact that we have not obeyed the law. And he did that on the cross. And so we must 
walk with joy. And if we don't, then the implication is, I'm still carrying my own burdens. Jesus, what you did on the cross was not enough. And we cannot do that. We can't be read in the Shawshank Redemption, acting like we're still in prison. If he did all that so that we would never experience condemnation, why do we still act like we're condemned? There is an old story of a man who went down to the slave block to purchase a, a slave girl. And the girl saw the man standing there and was thinking, okay, here's, here's another white man that is going to purchase me and abuse me. And uh, he indeed did purchase her. He went up and took her with him and they began walking away and he said to her, young lady, you are free. You are free. She said, what does that mean? And he said, what do you mean? She said, can I say whatever I want to say? He said, yes. You say whatever you want to say. She said, can I be whatever I want to be? Yes. You can be whatever you want to be. Does that mean I can go where I want to go? And he said, that's what it means. Through her tears, she said, then I will go with you. The Lord Jesus Christ has purchased us. We are no longer slaves. He bids us, come with me. Let's bow together. Lord, will you help us to go with him with joy? To quit acting like we're still carrying our own burdens. but to understand that there is now no condemnation for we who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.